I'm Brandon Munro. I'm the CEO of Bannerman Energy. We have the Atango Uranium Project in Namibia. Very advanced. We released a DFS in December. We've been operating a pilot plant there for more than three years. And this is the year. This is the year where we'll be looking to contract finance. And when the market's ready for us, we're looking forward to a final investment decision. Brandon. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Well, here we're in Africa, okay, African project, one-to-one's um, on, and Darba's on, everyone's here who's got, is anyone, and you're an award winner now as well, we're here. Uh, yeah, no, but that's a serious thing. It's great. We won the Community Engagement Award down at the Indaba okay. on the big stage. Right. Um, it was really pleasing. Like, the team in Namibia have really been passionate about the different programs we've got and the early learner assistance program's been going since 2011. Right. We've put 3,300 kids through this assistance program and we're not even earning a cent. So that's not just good. tipping your heart out, out a project just so you can do it. That, that's, that's, that's really good. But look, I, well, I want to get down to cold, hard brass tacks here because it's all about the money, it's all about the share price. And as you say, 2023, is your year when the market um, kind, of, kind of picks up. So first of all, we talked the other day on um, the energy show uh, last week, which I think a lot of people fed back on. Um, you look very calm, by the way. Roseanne, I just yeah. want to say that. <laughs> that's in, in joke, go, go to the energy show to work out what that's about. Um, but the, I think the, the thing that people are looking to try to understand a little bit more is this thing between where the price is today and the sorts of numbers that, CEOs in the uranium space are quoting, right? So if, if I, and I said to you last week, if a gold CEO came to me and said, don't worry, gold's going to be at 3000 bucks, my project's fine. I think they were nuts, right? You uranium CEOs are talking about prices at 70, 80 bucks. What's the difference between that, the gold and uranium? Well, the key difference is uranium is the only unsubstitutable fuel source for 10% of the world's electricity. So if the current gold price meant that a third of the industry had to shut down and gold mines around the world had to go into care and maintenance, it just means there's less gold in vaults. That happens in uranium, and if that continues to happen in uranium, the lights go out. The world loses a proportion of 10% of the world's electricity, the largest clean electricity source after hydro, and the current situation where we have uranium at $50 results in a deficit of about 30 million pounds a year. The sector no longer has the capacity to meet that deficit from previous inventory that had built up since Fukushima. And so something's got to give. If the price doesn't go up, the lights will go out. And we just can't fathom that as an outcome. And so the market will step in and we'll see the market signals that enable our production and uh, other future production from other mines to come in. So that's why we have absolute confidence that the uranium price will go up. It'll go up substantially still from here. Um, my feeling is that we're about two years into a 10-year cycle. So we've had some recovery and uh, in absolute numbers that looks quite attractive with uranium at $50. But we're just in the early stages of a long-term cycle that enables enough uranium to be explored for, found, developed, financed, and ultimately produced. And at $50, that's just not going to happen. Right. And, and I think a lot of CEOs are taking that stance. And I've, I've got one showing up. John, John Borshoff uh, is rocking up this afternoon. He's been very clear. I'm not doing a thing. So you guys give me the incentive price that I need. 
um, and, and, and others mm. too. So that, yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so it's not a case of trust me, it's trust the market fundamentals in terms of energy security going forward. Yeah, that's it. I mean, all we can do as the CEO is interpret the signals that after being you know, very embedded in the nuclear industry now, at least for the seven years since I've been CEO of Bannerman, yeah. um, in a good position, I think, to understand, interpret and explain those market signals. But we can't influence the market. We can only influence what our corporate strategy is, which is to be ideally positioned for when that turns. Well, let's occurs. get on to that because, like I say, 2023 is the year. You've done the DFS, you know, came out uh, at the end of last year. You know, we've just discussed the numbers side of things. But let's talk about the actual being able to get into production side of things. You're sitting here with uh, this young gentleman who we've not met before. Who's he? Gavin Chamberlain, it's uh, day number three. With day Gavin. number three, yeah. okay. Ready to go, this is my money to book. Right, okay, but so why, why have you been brought on board? So really, I mean, I've got 30 years of um, experience in Africa in mining projects. So honed my teeth in the construction industry in South Africa, which was fairly interesting. Um, spent about six years in actual construction and then moved into project management in mining. Right. Uh, mainly on the consulting side, but also been in junior mining before I came here. But the real reason I think why Brandon actually was interested in me is I actually was the project director for the USAP project, which was the large uranium project in Namibia. Okay. Um, that was 2.2 billion project. Um, so I managed the EPCM team and the JV for the construction of that project. So I know Namibia well. I know uranium. I'm not a uranium expert, but I know uranium. But really, I know projects. Um, that's, that's, you're here, that's you're here what to build. You're here to build. Yeah. So, so tell me about, so what were the learnings from that project which you think you can apply here? Um, that was an interesting one because it was a mix of Chinese and South African contractors. Mm -hmm. But really it's around, I think, rationing or using the network that I've built up over the years in South Africa more than anything else and knowing the Namibia market fairly well. Um, I think you can bring the logistics side of things um, and really my real key skill really is around contracting and understanding the contracting models that are used locally. So it's really around bringing that, those skills into, into the company. Um, looking at what's been done, I think we already aligned more or less with where I want to go. Um, but it's really around just fine-tuning some of the contractual terms and conditions that we'll use going forward. What are, what are the critical components here? Because we've talked about when, when I was in Namibia with you back mm. in, I think it was May, wasn't it? Um, you know, water, desalination, water, through, through to the you know, various projects that are happening in Namibia. Oh, there's, so there's that, I think we understand that a bit, but what are the other things, the long poles and the tents, as we say? Well, I think, I mean, from this, we will be going with um, contract mining, which gives you a degree of confidence. So you've got a, an experienced contractor who will be doing the mining. Um, but so really the focus becomes around building the process plant and getting the infrastructure in place. And genuinely the South African contractors are more than up to doing that. But also I think there's some smaller local contractors as well that could probably add some value to us. So we would want to look at getting as much local content as we can. Um, and uh, my experience here as well was that the labor force was up to building the project. There's a, there's a few uranium companies. Yeah, there's quite in a few and there. You guys yeah. are, it helps. I mean, I mean, post construction, obviously, it's around the operations, and that will also be a focus of mine once we sort of got the construction side of the things set up and ready to run. It's interesting that the, the skill set component is really fascinating because mm -hmm. you sort of see various isolated uranium projects around the world. It's very, very rare to sort of see many producing. 
uh, uranium mines in and around the same sort of areas. So in terms of the skill for because again, the thing that Mr. Borshoff, you know, friend, good friend of ours, talks about a lot is the, the lack of skills, you know, d you know, down there at the operational level as well as the management side of things. So it's, it's important. Yeah, absolutely. And what I found really interesting is um, Namibian contractors, Namibian workforce, they were up for building HUSAB. HUSAB was a plus $2 billion development. So what's really important, I think, for our shareholders to understand is not only has Gavin got you know, credentials in spades, but he's got credentials in a much bigger, more complex environment. So uh, this one will be a doddle. So this will be an absolute double, won't it? <laughs> right. Okay. So, so um, welcome aboard. First of all, and good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Um, what are the other major deliverables this year, which you know set you up to press the green button when the market tells you it's it's time to do that? Yeah. So first of all, there's the mining license. That's the right. one remaining permit that we need. Um, the Ministry of Mines and Energy. They don't like to look at these until you've got a definitive feasibility study and, of course, your environmental approvals, which we've had already. Uh, so they've started looking at it now. We got some questions through from them showing that they're in, de in depth in the file mm -hmm. and they understand what we need. And uh, we've said to them, look, we'd like it by mid-year. It's, it's not going to slow us down, but uh, that's a good time frame to work with. Okay. And so that's from a permitting point of view. We have the environmental permits to build the mine, to build all of the external infrastructure for the permanent water pipeline, power. So there's no environmental permits required, still required. Um, so we've been through all of that. We've got our the, the secondary permits around radiation and all of this type of thing. Right. So that's permitting. So there's the one significant permit required. And then it comes down to technical work and engineering. So we've, as we've said on um, to the platform before, we're equity funding our front-end engineering and design. Uh, we've got $47.5 million in the bank, so we've, we're well, uh, we've got the capacity to do that. We've obviously now got the technical capacity um, with the team that's already been managing the DFS, now with uh, input from Gavin. And uh, part of what we'll be doing in parallel with the front-end engineering and design process is all of the operational aspects associated with constructing a project because you've got the build piece but you've still got to run the mine and commission the mine at the end of the build and we've got the ability now to do that in parallel with the construction so it's seamless. There's many examples that uh, you know have been explained to me where construction and build process is extremely intense and the focus is on getting the mine built and you don't always have the luxury of focusing on well what are we going to do when we built it you know mm. does maintenance have enough of an input does the HR have enough of an input does the organizational culture have enough of an input and that's work that we're already doing which will make sure that it transitions into operations a lot better but it's a better operation once we're producing pounds in the can. It's, it's kind of interesting, you've been there uh, seven years, you said, right? Yep. Right. It, the, the type of conversations that you have to have during that sort of seven year period to now, it, it feels real now, you know, that we're talking about real real things and got real people who can build real minds. Um, so that, that must be a weight off when you're bouncing around a conference here and, and talking to, 
you know, all the sort of institutions that you need to be talking to. What are the things that they're focused on? Just so sort of us kind of retail investors get a sense of, you know, what's important mm -hmm. to those sorts of guys who will sort of, I guess, change the sort of dynamic of the share register at some point once you get going. Yeah, well, it's, it's been interesting. Like Gavin and I have been sitting all these meetings um, over the last two days. And it, not long ago, any of these meetings, I would have spent the first 10 minutes trying to get someone's attention about uranium. This is why uranium's great. It's been the absolute opposite. The first 10 minutes, they've been explaining to me why they're interested in uranium and articulating it pretty well, actually. Right. Numerous meetings with groups that two years ago, just either they couldn't invest in uranium or it just wasn't part of their business plan. And they've identified it as the opportunity across their book that they're now coming into and it's not groups who have been uranium investors in the past it's new investors looking at the sector for the first time over the last few months now that's a real bellwether for us i think because it's showing that the investor audience for this sector is really growing a lot of these guys have got very deep pockets i mean we met with some big groups with big capital to deploy and then you look at the size of the sector, it's still tiny. Yeah. So that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing, there's been a, a real focus on, well, what your question before, what are the next steps? Lots of questions about <clears throat> contracting and what we're going to do when the market shows us conditions that are acceptable. A lot of emphasis on team. Um, you know, to be frank, Gavin knew just about every second person walking around. So I felt uh, I felt very insignificant trailing Gavin around the, the tent. But, uh, you know, we were able to give the message that the construction expertise in the Exco was the last piece of our core executive team. Are they kind of sophisticated around the, the, the pricing components, right? Retail's got an opinion about everything, right? So, you know, I said, 50 bucks is not enough. We need 200 or wherever, wherever individuals, you know, think we need to go. Are the new entrants or potential new entrants into investors into this space sophisticated enough to know the kind of very sort of, you know, step changes in terms of that pricing and term contracting that you may want? Or was that, is, are you still educating them on that, on that side of things? It was a blend. <clears throat> You know, you've got really smart people who've managed or made or researched a lot of different industries and they're very good at joining dots and making parallels. So quite often I'd get the question, so how do you construct your contract portfolio mm. so that when the price is at $80, you're getting $80 into the bank? So they might not have understood exactly how contracts work, but they know that it's not as simple as just here's your price and yeah. we're going to escalate it according to inflation or on 3% a year. And so they were really good conversations because we had the opportunity to then explain how you would shape a contract portfolio, how you would design and model right. out the portfolio, um, really good conversations about where floors and ceilings would lie, where the market is at the moment, what's going to require to start getting in a utility appetite to accommodate broader floors and ceilings that, that you know they aren't too compressed where where we give up upside okay because my banking days i'd have been right right risk, risk mitigation the what-if scenario which is right if something happens like a fukushima but you've got contracts are you safe you know do you know what i mean those are important things so there's risk mitigation in terms of the build component which is super important 
the cost of money for doing that is really, really important. But in terms of how you position yourself in the market, the timing, timing for that, and of course the the, the mechanics within the term contracts themselves. So was the was the risk mitigation a bit something they wanted to understand on the equity, or was that more on the with the debt conversations? Ah, uh, look, generally speaking, equity realizes that debt will look after that risk. Right. In the sense that the financiers they won't finance until they can see. Debt coverage. It's getting that. Who goes first? <laughs> Who's going first? That, that's the, always the yeah, debate, yeah, right? Because yeah. the equity guys are a little bit lazy. I used to be one I can say that. Because uh, the debt guys take a little bit longer and they do all of that mm -hmm. due diligence. Yep. And the equity guys go, it's good enough for them, big brand. I'll, I'll pile in. So that, that tension in terms of the mm -hmm. conversations, that's a bit of an exciting period of um, chat, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you saw that in the way with some of the debt people that we did speak to. Their questions were just an order of magnitude more detailed, right? You know, and very focused on um, coverage. You know, what proportion of your uh, production will you contract, and will you be fixed price or will you be floors? Mm. Uh, you know, they're going to have to put into their model what is the worst price scenario. Where do the floors kick in? How much of the debt coverage does that protect? Um, they'll run scenarios on overproduction, underproduction. Uh, they'll they'll run sensitivities through that model, and that will spit out for us where we need to protect the minimum revenue stream. And depending on when we enter and how much tension there is in the market, that will also dictate how much upside we've got in that contracting uh, portfolio. So it talks talk about it because it, where are you with the financial negotiations with equity and debt. Because as soon as one of those guys is ready to go, that's a big signal to the market that, mm -hmm. and I've used the word real, you know, that's a reality. You got people think, people who are putting a lot of money at this, think you're going to get into production, or, you know, have a degree of certainty or confidence that you get into production. That could be a moment for the rest of the market to follow. So timeline is what? Timeline to be determined. And I've been very careful to signal to the market that our corporate strategy is about being ready and with mm. the things that we've talked about and being patient. And they're two different things. Being ready means when the market shows us those signals and when we see enough tension in the market that mm. the utilities are prepared to create a contract, a series of contracts that brings us into production, that we can actually do that. And we can talk about what we've, some of the other things we've been doing. But at the same time, we don't want to be on any sort of timeline, whether it's because I've said to the market that we're going to do it by a particular time or because we've got permitting duress or any of those things that would make you impatient. We've ensured that none of those factors will push us into the market earlier than we think is appropriate. Um, so to answer your question about, you know, what have we been doing? Uh, mid last year, we engaged debt advisors out of Sydney, very sophisticated group. They like... They like cutting their teeth on the, the more challenging commodities. So they, they've financed graphite in Africa, rare earths. Uh, you know, they're not just pushing out another gold project financing. Yeah. They like the intrigue. But yeah, they like the intrigue of uranium and they're used okay. to financing projects that have got a complex market component. Okay. So we spent uh, half a year with them last year doing all of the front-end debt advisory stuff, making sure that we were lined up to when we're ready to start sounding financiers and doing that um, 
fairly typical initial. Right. So conversations have happened, but it's a case of you'll come back when you feel it's appropriate to come back to them. So you, they're not starting from the from scratch at some point later this year. Correct. And it, like right. okay. just an example, the the environmental gap analysis is a significant piece of work. We we've got a baseline that goes back to 2008. So the good news is we've got this fabulous environmental baseline that would give any financier total comfort. Mm -hmm. um, however, the environmental management plan was done 10 years ago. We did it to absolute best practices, but some of those practices have changed. You know, we're now in an Equator Principles 4 environment. So we've been undertaking the gap analysis, updating that, in some cases, making very clear statements like, we don't have a relocation policy because there are no people to relocate. Mm -hmm. Those things to make sure with all of the experience of our debt advisors and the external consultants we've used, no bank's going to trip up at the last minute with a yeah. spotty analyst yeah. saying, I can't tick the box that says they've got a relocation policy. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's like, we need to say <laughs> that nothing's happening. Yeah. <laughs> but, no. but that stuff is time consuming. Absolutely. You know, and if, you, if that becomes a blind spot for a company, it can slow down a financing by four or five months. And time is money, Branson. Well, time is opportunity, particularly in this market. It's, it's money, but it's shareholder value. So by part of our operational readiness strategies, having all of that front-end work done, having that long lead item um, work done, right. and then back to the patience piece, you know, if we don't see the market develop in the way that I'd like it to develop over the next three to six months, we've got a lot that we can do to keep moving the project forward. It's uh, many of those execution pieces that we've mm. talked about. And because we're in front-end engineering and design, our DFS isn't going to go stale. Okay. The numbers will be constantly refined. Any of those parts of the DFS that aren't at a bankable level already will be moving up to bankability. Right. So the project keeps moving forward um, without losing time as to when our final uh, production would be. Let's, let's pick up on that word opportunity, mm. okay? Because that's really important in this space. There's a few, there's a few um, uranium names in, in the space and they're all at varying degree, well, a lot of exploration. And I suspect yeah. there'll be a lot more <clears throat> exploration. I think we're speaking to the youngest exploration team uh, on third, but tomorrow, who are, who are popping along uh, to tell us their story. And there'll be more people behind them. But up around the development, um, uh, the, the, so the development um, groups and some of the former producers, because people have obviously uh, stopped doing any of that uh, now. You, you've got to think about where Namibia sits in that, where the Namibian uranium can we sit in that. And we've always, we've, crikey, four years, three, four years, you, you and I have been talking about Athabasca versus African and low, high grade and low grade and margin and economics and all, all those things that are really, really important. But in terms of, the, as far as you're concerned, in the minds of the, the people issuing these term contracts, Namibia is a known entity around production. Uh, I get the point that patience is required. And when, you, when you're ready to go, or you feel it's the right time to go, you will go. Um, how, how do those conversations with the people who do issue the term contracts um, how do you progress those? How do you set yourselves up so that they can press the button immediately that you make that decision and you're not starting from scratch? Mm. Who's, who's managing all of that? Well, there's That's the money, aspects. right? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of aspects to that. So first of all, it's confidence that the utilities have that we can go into production and that we will be able to deliver according to our time frame. That, you know, we've, we don't have a, 
a year of delay on construction or problems commissioning or technical issues commissioning. Yeah. So we've got a very strong attribute with our Atango project because you could say it's the most boring uranium project in the whole sector. And what I mean by that is it's the most technically and um, uh, conventional, simple project mm. in the sector. It's open pit, we start at surface, so you're into ore straight away um, with the low stripping ratio in the first several years, um, low stripping ratio over the life of the mine. Um, the ore body itself is massive and homogenous and uh, the geometry is... Um, You're not chasing the uranium. We're not chasing it. We're not yeah. finding it. You can, you can stand in an outcropping. You can, you can see that that's a mineralised bit and that colour is the unmineralised bit. Um, and the heap leaching, it's a very simple crushing circuit. You know, we're only crushing it to P80 of 5.4 millimetres. So it's like what you put in a fish tank. There's no grinding, there's no milling. Um, and the heap leaching piece, which is conventional sulfuric acid, we ran a pilot plant for three years just to show how simple and how amenable the material is to heap leaching. So um, with the financier discussions, they lock in on that and they're perfectly comfortable because it's so simple. The utilities, these guys run power stations. They're not miners. So they're scared of the mining. They're scared of examples in the sector where mines haven't quite gone right. And they take a lot of comfort um, from the fact that this is so conventional and our commissioning and ramp up is dead Well, that's simple. the point, isn't it? I, I'm, I'm trying to get to you, which is like, the, even they need to believe that you're not gonna go bust mm. and this big, long annuity stream of, um, or, or so uranium, which they, they've commissioned from you, won't just suddenly stop because that ruins their plans. Yep. So they need to feel comfortable technically yep. and economically that you're going to be around to be able to deliver that. So yep. that's what I'm saying. Like that education process is important mm -hmm. even before you start the negotiation on, well, show me the money with yep. them. And, and that comes down to a few things, but credibility is really important to these nuclear utilities. So the fact that we've been doing this as a purely focused uranium company for 15, 18 years in country, we didn't deviate to cobalt when that was hot. We didn't deviate to mm -hmm. you know, lithium when that was hot or uh, we've been a real uranium company doing real work throughout that period. Um, the fact that I've been on WNA committees now for six or seven years, the, the fact that I'm um, sitting alongside the CEOs of some of the very biggest um, uh, companies in the entire nuclear industry on the WNA advisory panel. You know, that counts for a lot. They, utilities, they, they, they will expect us to make sure that all of those factors are in place, that we've got our financing done in the right way, we've got our governance. Um, and that credibility means that I think they will take on face value that uh, that we're doing our work correctly. You are, and I, I think that's a, I made the point earlier. There's a different sorts of conversations that you're having now compared mm. to having to promote, put out daft headlines, and uh, hope that momentum gets behind you. So this is the year for you guys. Um, I appreciate you coming in. Thanks for uh, making time to do that. I know you're busy as anything, and lovely to meet nice you. To meet you. Yeah. Good luck with the challenges ahead this year. Um, we'll see you soon. Great. Thanks, Matt.